Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from the pensions team at Herbert Smith Freehills. Uh, my name's Tim Smith. I'm a professional support consultant in the pensions team here at HSF. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Philip Bliss, a senior associate in our disputes team who specialises in restructuring and insolvency. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. Today we're going to be uh, discussing the impact of the new pensions, criminal offences and regulatory sanctions that were introduced on the 1st of October this year under the Pension Schemes Act 2021 on restructuring and insolvencies involving companies with defined benefit pension schemes. This is the latest podcast in our soundbite series on the Pension Schemes Act and the regulator's new powers. Uh, Previous episodes contain an overview of the offences and also consider other scenarios in which they may be engaged, including Uh, in relation to the payment of dividends. Just by way of background, as I said, the new offences came into force on the 1st of October 2021 this year. And broadly speaking, they apply where a person doesn't act or engages in a course of conduct that may be considered to be materially detrimental to a defined benefit pension scheme. Alongside the new offences, the Act also introduced fines of up to a million pounds that can be applied in similar circumstances and new contribution notice triggers for the pensions regulator. Generally speaking, where a person acts reasonably or has a reasonable excuse for their conduct, these new sanctions won't be engaged. And we'll be exploring that in a bit more detail as the podcast unfolds. So, Philip, just turning to you, just thinking about how these new offences and regulatory sanctions kind of are impacting the approach to restructuring insolvency, what what impact do you expect them to have on how people approach kind of corporate restructuring insolvency where you've got a company or a group with a defined benefit scheme? So uh, we're expecting that to actually be quite a significant practical impact of these new offences and sanctions. I mean, I'd say thankfully for for the purposes of this podcast being interesting, that's the case. At the moment, though, we're, we're in the very early days of the new policy so there's, there still is a fair amount of uncertainty and stakeholders are still largely feeling out how the new rules are actually going to impact them. But as a starting point, what we've noted is that the regulators indicated that the vast majority of people don't actually need to be concerned by the new rules as it's not intended to actually prosecute behaviour which the regulator considers to be ordinary commercial activity. Instead, the regulator is only intending to investigate and um, prosecute the most serious examples of intentional or reckless conduct. Uh, And that is intended to be limited to where historically the regulator would already have used its contribution notice powers. Given how sparingly the regulator has actually used those existing contribution notice powers in the past, that suggests that prosecutions for these new offences are likely to be pretty rare. But despite that reassurance, and uh, given the breadth of the offences and the uncertainty that surrounds their application, there are likely to be a lot of scenarios in which advisors are going to find it difficult to give definitive advice on whether corporate activity like a restructuring will constitute legitimate lawful activity or not. In practice, um, I think the area where we're going to see greater concern in the context of restructurings is the extension to the regulator's contribution notice powers. And that's because those were introduced specifically with the intention of making it easier for the regulator to establish that a 
relevant trigger event has actually occurred. So while we've had assurances from the regulator that the new criminal offences are going to be reserved for circumstances where there's very significant harm to a DB scheme, we don't have that assurance in the context of contribution notice triggers. So what I think we're expecting to see is that the regulator is going to use these powers as a sliding scale where you see contribution notices issued most frequently. Then that's followed by financial penalties. And lastly, you'll have criminal prosecutions, which are reserved to the most egregious acts. And the regulators issued guidance to kind of explain how it sees these new kind of offences and sanctions uh, being applied in practice. Uh, what does that say about specifically restructuring insolvency and how that may be impacted uh, by these sanctions? Yeah, so the, the regulator has given some relatively useful guidance as to how restructurings are going to interact with the new offences and sanctions. And they've given us some clues as to how they intend to enforce them. Um, so there are probably three key points that I'd draw out for you. The first one is beginning with the, the key restructuring processes. So the regulator has given specific guidance in relation to Part 26A restructuring plans and company voluntary arrangements, which everyone will know are referred to often as CVAs. The regulator's policy has helpfully confirmed that a person would generally be expected to have a reasonable excuse for their actions, where they act in accordance with a Part 26A scheme or uh, in accordance with the CBA. And to be honest, it would have been slightly surprising if the policy didn't carve out court-authorised restructurings. But interestingly, it hadn't been in the original draft text. So it is a useful clarification. It's also notable that the policy doesn't actually give the same reassurance where you're talking about a corporate moratorium. Now, what that suggests to us is that any decision by the directors of a company with the DB scheme, of course, is likely to be subject to greater scrutiny from the regulator where, where you're talking about a moratorium. The other crucial point is that even though a restructuring plan and the CVA have essentially been blessed from the regulator's perspective in light of their guidance, it's still well open to the regulator to seek to impugn all of the steps that preceded those restructuring plans or CVAs. The second big point to flag is that the regulator's given some interesting guidance, which gives some clues as to the type of restructuring related activities which could or couldn't be caught by the new offences and the sanctions. The regulator has importantly given guidance on whether the relevant person had a viable alternative, which could have caused less detriment to the DB scheme. That's relevant to the regulator's consideration of whether the detriment should be considered central to the party's purpose. Again, helpfully, what the regulator's policy has done is that it's recognised that the amount of time available to directors to consider alternatives and their capacity to incur the cost of doing so may be limited. That's particularly because in distress scenarios, events move at pace and decisions need to be made quickly. Policy also recognises that those decisions need to avoid material destruction of value as that would be detrimental to all stakeholders, and that would include the pension scheme creditor. So what that suggests is that the extent to which alternatives could and should be explored is going to be context dependent. And where you're in a situation where more time and more resources are available to directors, they'll be expected to spend more time 
exhausting alternative courses of action. Presumably, if the consequences are more serious to the DB scheme, then you'd also expect the inquiries to be more extensive. Now, on its face, that guidance does seem pretty sensible, but the tenor of a lot of the regulators' guidance indicates that they may not actually be that realistic as the amount of time that directors have in practice in distressed situations. The reality is that directors have very little time to consider alternatives in these are high-pressured circumstances. A further point to keep in mind is that the regulators actually assured practitioners that they won't take into account hindsight when they're looking at viable alternatives, which could have avoided or reduced the impact of the scheme. So for example, the directors of a distressed company could identify alternative restructuring proposals, but when they assess the relative detriment between those alternatives, that could involve some judgment as to future events. Now, in reality, that could lead to the success or the failure of the company, but directors might not know, for example, if a key customer would actually terminate contracts or how the wider economy would perform. So the regulator has made the useful statement that it will undertake an assessment of their uh, actions, taking into account their knowledge, including their reasonable expectations and forecasts. The key issue, of course, is what those reasonable inquiries are, and that could be something that we see some debate over in the future. The third and final point, which I'd flag, is that the case studies set out by the regulator and their guidance give some uncertainty as to how far finance parties are actually able to enforce their contractual rights when a borrower has defaulted. In particular, there is a scenario given by the regulator where an employer has breached its banking covenants and that entitles a lender in, in the ordinary way to withdraw those facilities immediately. And the regulator explains that an extension of facilities by one month will, in that context, be highly unlikely to risk the lender's interests because the employer could be entitled, for example, to significant payments from debtors over that period. And in that context, the regulator says that the decision of the bank to offer that one-month extension is a viable alternative. Now, what that suggests to us on its face is that the regulator is saying that there could be circumstances where the new criminal offence could actually act as a significant fetter on the ability of a party, which is completely unrelated to a DB scheme, to act in its own interests or that of its shareholders and enforce its contractual rights. So if that's how the offences are applied in practice, this would be a really significant departure from, from the standard principles of English corporate law. In essence, you'd be requiring a third party to consider the impact of its actions on the pension scheme of an unrelated commercial entity, and also to consider potential alternative courses of action before it takes steps to protect its own commercial interests or enforce its own contractual rights. I think that would be quite surprising to a lot of practitioners. In practice, it seems unlikely that this kind of scenario will come into effect, but it does give cause for concern for lenders and suppliers that they may need to take into account their relationship with their counterparties before they enforce their own contractual rights. So the practical point we draw from that is that lenders and suppliers need to make sure they keep clear written records and assessments of, of the risks involved in acting uh, in distress situations. So 
kind of given the new offence, you, you, you've begun to talk there about some of the kind of practical steps that, that parties can take. But what whatever practical steps are you advising stakeholders take in order to mitigate the risks associated with these new offences? Well, I think the key starting point is to carefully consider five big, big points. The first one is considering the potential impact of the restructuring, whatever the arrangement you have in mind is, and whether that could engage the offences and sanctions. It's an obvious one. The second is considering the extent to which any material detriment to the scheme can actually be avoided or mitigated. The third one is considering the rationale for your actions and whether that is actually likely to, to amount to a reasonable excuse. The fourth is thinking about when and how you should engage with the scheme's trustees, engage with the regulator and the PPF when necessary. And the fifth is you should consider whether it's appropriate to actually seek clearance from the regulator in relation to the proposed restructuring arrangements. So those are the five key points to consider and analyze. I'd also add to that that the regulator expects that people it investigates are able to put forward evidence that show that they acted in a way which might be a reasonable excuse. And the regulator expects that there are contemporaneous records to justify that. Things like minutes of meetings, correspondence and written advice. So it's clearly crucial in the context of restructuring where it might impact on the DB scheme that the decision makers and other parties and stakeholders maintain clear and good records of the decision making process, the assessment of the, of the impact on the scheme, the adequacy of mitigation, engagement with the trustee, with the regulator, and also copies of all advice received. So I think those are probably the principal practical responses that that you can put into place to minimise your exposure. And have you seen much impact in practice to date uh, since these new sanctions came into force? Well, look, it's, it's very early days, as I said, for the new offences and the guidance. And understandably, stakeholders are pretty nervous about acting in a way which risks detriment to the DB schemes. I think the coming months, and particularly any high-profile insolvencies that we see in the coming months or year, are going to be very interesting. And that should help stakeholders start mapping out what the regulator's approach is going to be, because ultimately this is a very significant development in the law, and it's going to be difficult to understand how it will operate in practice until we actually see public examples of these cases. And in the meanwhile, the best thing that, that stakeholders can do is try to mitigate their risk using the practical tips uh, set out in my last answer. And another question that's kind of being raised, particularly in the context of kind of restructuring insolvency, is, is how do these um, kind of sanctions interact with directors' general legal duties? So ordinarily directors, you know, owe a duty to act in the interests of their company's members, shareholders, or in a distress scenario that, that flips to the creditors. But clearly, with these new sanctions, they need to have regard very much to the interests of the pension scheme. Uh, so, so how do these kind of two things square off? No, that's entirely right. There's a there's a clear tension there. And it is one of the challenges that's that's raised by these new offences. I mean, to bulk out a little bit of what you said there, in the ordinary course of business, directors are required to make decisions for the benefit of the company's shareholders. And in doing so, they're meant to have regard to factors such as the long-term success of the company, the interests of employees, 
the need to foster business relationships with suppliers, customers, and others. But then you find yourself in an insolvency or near insolvency scenario. And as you say, the duties of directors switch to acting in the interest of the company's creditors. Even in that scenario, the key point is that directors are required to consider the interests of the company's creditors as a whole, and they're not expected to act in the interest of any one particular creditor. The interesting point that arises here is that in the criminal offences policy, the regulators recognising that the new offences don't change the creditor status of the defined benefit pension scheme. But while that's technically correct, what it doesn't do is recognise that in practice, because of the power of the new offences and the teeth of the regulatory sanctions, it actually means that directors are required to, or at least they're far more likely to pay far closer attention to the impact that any decision they make will have on the DB scheme, um, particularly in a distress scenario. And what that means in practice is that DB schemes are getting a pseudo-preferential status compared with the sponsor's other unsecured creditors. Like, now, that it just does create a clear tension in directors' consideration of competing interests in times of stress and distress. There isn't really a clear answer to how you resolve that, aside from carefully considering the actions that you're taking as a corporate at every stage and carefully papering that. So, so just in case, do you have any final kind of recommendations or kind of suggestions for, for directors or uh, other parties, lenders, investors who, who are having to make decisions that may impact a DB scheme in, in a kind of distressed scenario? Any, any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the main takeaways for shareholders are one, to keep on banging the same drum, it's keeping clear contemporaneous records. So ensuring you have minutes, correspondence and written advice, which supports your decision-making process. It should also support considerations about the points I mentioned earlier, being mitigation, engagement with the trustees, engagement with the regulator, and the clear record of the advice you got from lawyers and financial advisors. Two would be considering in a timely fashion the impact on the scheme, how far material detriment can be avoided. And again, returning to the same point, engagement with the relevant stakeholders, the trustees, the regulator, and the PPF. And to make the obvious point, there's a lot to think about here and there's considerable uncertainty. But I hope is that over the coming months, this should be ironed out. And at least the majority of ordinary course restructurings can continue to operate, provided the stakeholders follow those practical points very interesting point will be to see where the regulator actually seeks to enforce these powers. At the moment, they're largely hanging over stakeholders as a kind of sword of Damocles, keeping them honest in what they do. But it'll be very interesting to see these put into effect and see these litigated. Great. Well, thank you, Philip. Um, Lots of food for thought there and some really useful practical tips for you know, directors and others who, who, who are kind of having to grapple with these new sanctions and how they apply in practice. So thank you for that. And thanks for listening. Uh, as I said, this is part of a soundbite series that we've put together on the new pensions offences and regulatory sanctions. You can find more recordings on our UK Pensions Regulation Hub. So thanks for listening.